In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The senatorial campaigns are kicking into higher gear in Georgia. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. If you're just listening to us for the first time, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode of Politically Georgia. Coming up later, the platform Stacey Abrams is using to reach a new audience. But first, Senate campaigns are hitting a new gear. And Patricia, we both had a busy weekend and really a busy week of covering uh, the Senate campaigns as they were uh, stepping up a notch. Yes, you can feel the tempo coming. I would say as soon as Labor Day comes and goes, these campaigns are in a full sprint. So this is sort of leading up to that full sprint. And you can definitely see that their schedules are ramping up. We're seeing big, fat, shiny buses out. People are doing bus tours. They are definitely getting out in front of more and more voters. They're doing more and more events. And they're really trying to hone in on their messages, try and get in front of as many people as possible. And it's absolutely, you can just feel it. Yeah, and Patricia, we were out on the campaign trail this weekend too, where we we caught some of the audio we'll be talking about later. But I hope you also had a little bit of time off the trail. We went whitewater rafting up in Nanahala, up in North Carolina with the two kids while my wife was at a spa weekend. So I took the kids uh, on a raucous river tour. And um, my favorite part of that, we were with this random group and there was this teenager. And at the very end, doing all the photos of the adventures, we're all like mouth open, going crazy as we're going over this, the last, you know, kind of class three rapid. So it's the only serious rapid in the in the whole river. And there's one, and this kid who's with us, this teenager, is just staring blankly at the camera going, you know, with a flat grin on his face. <laughs> I saw that picture on Twitter, <laughs> that poor kid. <laughs> Greg, I, I need to, okay, I'm going to take a page out of the Bluestein's playbook because my playbook, my life is so different and I feel like maybe it's my fault. But no, I spent Sunday with like six, eight, six hours of quality time with my laundry and getting like, I have to get five pair of socks out for each kid for eat for the week. I cannot go to bed Sunday night unless everybody's clothes are out for the entire week. And then we had a couple lacrosse practices and some baseball practice. And that was, and that was our weekend. And actually I felt extremely zen by the end of it because I had all my stuff done, but I did not go whitewater rafting. See, I feel zen doing the adventures. We <laughs> took the kids to my alma mater, North Springs High School, as they played my daughter's future school, Dunwoody High School. So we did that on Friday. We had a really long day where we went all over North Georgia on Saturday. And on Sunday, we had a lot of stuff at our synagogue. And then 
Herschel Walker. And that's our segue, yes, I think. There because it goes. It's, the, it's the handoff. Before, yeah, a few days before this event, Republican Senate leader Mitch McConnell was in Kentucky, where he talked a little bit about why he's not so certain Republicans will retake the Senate. Senate races are just different. They're statewide. Candidate quality has a lot to do with the outcome. So Patricia, he's he's citing candidate quality. He didn't say any specific state, but we do know that there are mounting Republican concerns about Senate candidates in Pennsylvania, in Ohio, in Arizona, to a degree in Wisconsin, and of course here in Georgia where Herschel Walker is struggling in the polls even behind Raphael Warnock, three, four, five points in some of the most recent surveys. Yeah. And the first part of that clip was when Senator McConnell was saying, well, you know, we might might pick up the Senate this cycle. It might be next cycle. We're not 100% sure. And then he segued into the ever important question of candidate quality. And yes, what is the buffet of potential catastrophes for Republicans right now? Dr. Oz, who had perhaps the most instant classic campaign video of all time when he went shopping for crudite for his wife in a Pennsylvania grocery store with no name like the name that he pronounced. I don't think it gets any better than that. He said Wegner's, but that is a combination of Redners and Wegmans. So it's obvious he's never been in a grocery store or else it's been a long time. And it's obvious that he doesn't know that a crudite is actually New Jersey for veggie tray. And he could have just said veggie tray and really connected with his people, but he didn't. And, um, you know, the wheels appear to be slightly off the wagon. The Instacart senator. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Or the um, more likely the staff is out doing the grocery shopping senator. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just don't act like you know what Wegmans is because you obviously don't. That being said, the Senate right now is 50-50. The Republicans are so close to majority, they can taste it. The national environment for Democrats is disastrous. It's getting like the teeniest bit less disastrous, but it remains disastrous. Joe Biden is deeply unpopular, even with Democrats. And so you have this moment where if victory is in hand, you just want to grab it. And so with a candidate like Herschel Walker, a bit problematic. The things he says are a bit problematic. Many parts of his background are a bit problematic. But McConnell is pouring resources into this state. He's not so worried about Herschel Walker that he's pulling his support. Just the opposite. He's going to do a fundraiser for Herschel Walker this week, which is something you reported in the jolt earlier this week. They've already dumped $37 million into this state to win that Senate seat. They just need one. And so they have a Senate map that is not really all that favorable to Republicans. Republicans have 20 seats up. The Democrats only have 14 seats up. So Democrats have less territory to defend. It is a hard map for Republicans, but they just need one. And Herschel Walker could be that one. And that is a perfect segue to Herschel Walker, who on Sunday was at the Republican Jewish Coalition up in Sandy Springs, my neck of the woods, the movie theater that I grew up having birthday parties at. There used to be a Qzar in the same shopping center and a Diversions arcade (laughs) place and a Ben and Jerry's. So a a lot of our birthday parties were involved some variation of those four things, the Diversions, (laughs) the Qzar, the Ben and Jerry's and the movie theater. Uh, That all being said, at a very redone fancy movie theater because they've renovated it since my uh, childhood. Herschel Walker was speaking to a group organized by the Republican Jewish Coalition and at a packed theater with at least 100 people filling every seat 
Herschel Walker started talking about the new federal climate change, healthcare, and tax bill. Here's what he said. They continue to try to fool you like they're helping you out, but they're not. They're not helping you out because a lot of the money is going to trees. You know that, don't you? It's going to trees. We got enough trees. Don't we have enough trees around here? Don't we have enough trees around here? That is the part where you could kind of hear a pin drop in the the theater. I kind of leaned over to one of Walker's aides because it's not the first time he said something like this. You know, I was up in Lumpkin County at one of his first real town halls where he said something to this effect. You know, not the same exact words, but something like this before. And I tweeted it out and then the next day kind of featured it in our morning jolt. And it just became another viral sort of hit on Herschel Walker in a sense where Democrats and his critics were saying, here, here's another campaign blunder. Here's another reason to back up Senator Warnock's argument that that Herschel Walker is unfit to serve. Now the Republican Senate hopeful doubled down, you know, not long after as he tweeted, yeah, you know, you heard me right. I don't support spending what he says is $1.5 billion on trees. And really what he's talking about is an urban forestry program that would devote about $150 million a year over 10 years to encourage more urban greenscape. Yes. And let me tell you, I will say from a public policy perspective, that is a policy that a city like Atlanta needs rather desperately. There is more and more flooding in low-lying areas because of development, but that is uh, kind of neither here nor there. That is why cities like Houston have that catastrophic flooding. So the idea of planting trees to sort of harden people's homes against disasters is not new, but it is newly funded. But to, to get back to Herschel Walker and what he said... It's one of the reasons it's really hard to cover Herschel Walker is because there is frequently a seed of accuracy in just a pile of words and a tangle of pauses. And it is, you kind of think you know what he says. He's repeated it several times, so you know it's intentional. Our goal is really to represent what's happening out there on the campaign. What are the dynamics? And how is he shaping up as a candidate? Now, these things kind of blow up. This is exactly like the China air comment when he said, China's bad air comes over here, so we shouldn't have to clean our good air because China's bad air is going to come over. I mean, I did eventually tweet out like a research study that showed, in fact, China's bad air does really come over here. But it's so inartfully put, it also makes almost practically no sense in the moment. So we share those quotes. We include them in our reporting. We don't lead with them because this race is so important. I think it's so crucial for us to include both what he's saying and the dynamics of this race and the fact that this was a packed crowd and the fact that the Herschel Walker campaign does have huge audiences coming out to see their candidate. So this is a very real race if you focused only on the many verbal flubs and fumbles, you wouldn't really think this is a real race. And that's really not the case. But if he continues, the reason these are important is because if he continues to have just this absolute verbal pretzel making session, every time he tries to give a speech, those voters who are still holding out on Herschel Walker, still waiting for a demonstration that he is capable of this job, if he were to win, would it be a disaster? you know, he still has a group to get over. There are Kemp voters he needs to convince. And we know that. And so that's why these do matter. You know, they blow up on Twitter. And that's its own kind of phenomenon. But they matter in a real sense as well. You're exactly right. We wouldn't be giving our listeners, our readers, viewers, all the 
a full representation of the race if all we did every so often is say, here's what Herschel said that was, you know, that, that's, that's gaining attention, that's controversial, that, you know, that's gaining criticism. And we include those in our reports, but we also want to give you that fuller picture. And the fuller picture is exactly that, what, what Patricia just said, which is this plays into Senator Warnock's argument that Herschel Walker lacks the ability to serve. And Senator Warnock tweeted shortly after that story, my opponent is not ready to represent the people of Georgia. And it got something like 66,000 likes, right? From supporters, but also from a lot of people who have will, will not be able to vote in this Georgia election. You know, that being said, he uses this to sort of build his argument that, you know, he's already serving in the Senate. He's crossing party lines in some cases. He's showing his independence to President Joe Biden here and there as well. But at the same time, is someone who can, you know, win over those independent voters, can win over those swing voters. That's his game plan right now, because the only real path to victory, barring any sort of unforeseen circumstances, is he's got to win a lot of those former Republican voters who crossed over and backed Democrats in 2016 and 2018 and 2020 because of Donald Trump and because of other factors. And, you know, they might be veering back to the GOP camp right now because Trump's not on the ballot and the economy is uncertain, it's shaky, it's wobbly, whatever adjective we want to use. And, you know, we see a pronounced split ticket trend going on. It's not going to be as pronounced probably by November, but it's still a significant split ticket trend. We're seeing it in public polls. I'm hearing about it in private polls. There was one legislative candidate in a very competitive area in the suburbs who did her own poll. And it's showing a very pronounced split ticket in the metro Atlanta suburbs. That's probably where we'll see it the most come November. And in a race where it's, the dynamics are this close, we're in the most closely divided political state in the nation, right? 11,000 votes divided Joe Biden and, and Donald Trump in 2020. So just small variations, small changes of voting patterns could really have a major impact in these races. Yeah. And I think speaking of small variations, I have been really interested to see Herschel Walker going into the black community over and over again. He had a forum over the weekend with black pastors. He was down in Albany on Tuesday with black pastors and is getting in front of black business groups and really directly going after black voters in a way that Republicans really have not before. And he is in this incredibly unique position to be a black candidate running against another black candidate. And also on the ticket is Stacey Abrams, who has very soft numbers with black men. And so I think there are these, you know, once you slice the African American electorate, and then into male female, and then into religious voters, it's a small universe. But if Herschel Walker can slice off small pieces of groups like that, he can sort of claw his way back up to a plurality over Raphael Warnock. So we see him getting into these communities where we don't typically see Republicans. And it's a it's very clearly a strategy that they're pursuing, getting in front of people who don't typically see people like him and making a pitch from people who don't hear people like him. And one thing I do want to mention is that along with all of these verbal somersaults, he does also have a very clean very tidy message in a way that is, you know, delivered in a Wrightsville accent in a way that people who are in, in uh, rural communities, uh, uh, lower educated communities, these communities, it, it just is so authentic. It sounds so real to them. And he says, the Democrats and Raphael Warnock are lying to you. And I will tell you the truth. 
And he told a group of women voters who I was with recently, he said, listen, you guys are my family. And this is, you know, a famous football player telling them this is legend. You guys are my family and I protect my family. You know, those are the kind of messages that really break through and connect hard with some groups. And so along with the, you know, the I don't even know what to call it again, but there is also a very clean, direct message that is effective with groups of voters that he gets in front of. Yeah. And another message that his campaign certainly wants him to continue to focus on is the argument that Raphael Warnock votes with Joe Biden 90% of the time. I think it's 94, 96, whatever the number is. Raphael Warnock has done more for Joe Biden than he has done for Georgians. And so that's the message that he repeats over and over again, because again, we've talked about this plenty of times before, but Joe Biden's approval ratings remain around 36% in the latest AJC polls and other polls show him well underwater, you know, high 30s, low 40s. And that's the Senator Warnock's challenge. He kicked off his bus tour in a major way. You're about to see him a lot more on the campaign trail. The Senate is in recess. He started his bus tour in Warner Robins last week. He's going to be in Savannah. He's going to be in Columbus. He's going to be in Metro Atlanta. The Democratic Party conventions this weekend in West Georgia. So he's going to be all around the state. And his message, for the most part, is focused around what Democrats like to call the Inflation Reduction Act, but the massive federal climate change healthcare tax bill that includes a significant part of his reelection agenda, which is a $35 cap on some Americans who receive insulin. So a $35 insulin cap for some Americans doesn't cover private insurers, but it does cover government insurance. And uh, this was a major win for Senator Warnock. When he's on the campaign trail, you're not going to hear him extol. You're not going to hear him praise Joe Biden. You're going to hear him talk about his independence from Joe Biden, his fight with uh, Biden to secure student debt relief. And his work, he often talks about his work across party lines. He talks about his work with Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama and Senator Ted Cruz of, of Texas. And sometimes you can see the sort of the jaws drop in the crowd, but it is part of his core argument that, hey, he can work with anyone, whether it be Joe Biden or whether it be a very, very conservative Republican. Yeah. And on the campaign trail, we're also going to hear him deliver some very business friendly messages and some farm friendly messages. He is working to really show when he's going around the state what he's done for the state's farmers and farming is the state's agriculture rather is the state's largest industry. Once you kind of add in all the bells and whistles that go with it, like manufacturing and then speak of manufacturing, he was really instrumental in putting in a piece of the CHIPS Act that is something to speed and enable semiconductor production. And that also will give research money and development to the HBCUs in Atlanta and around Georgia. So he has, it's it's unusual, I have to say, for a first-term senator with just two years in office to be able to come back home and say, these are all the things that are now law. These are all the things that I did. A big piece of that is because Senate Democrats want him to be able to come home and say he got all all of these things done. But he was able to really put his mark on that, put George's mark on a number of these really, really big bills for this moment, for this week, so that he could come home and say, I've done this, 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 and this. Kia, I've got the semiconductors coming and the chips coming from your cars. And farmers, we've got farm aid coming for disadvantaged farmers, but then for other farmers too. You know, he can kind of go around the state and he has this whole laundry list of things. And so he's trying to really eliminate the partisan conversation and talk about the production conversation, what he's been able to do and what he's been able to do because it's a 50-50 Senate 
because his body is in that chair for Georgia because Georgia flipped. Joe Biden is the president. He'll be the president at least for two more years. And this is the power of that incumbency that he's offering to return to for voters who can now not just wonder what he would do as senator, but now they know what he's done as senator. And he can make the argument for every split vote, for every 51-50, you know, vice president Kamala Harris tie-breaking vote that he's the reason why, him and John Ossoff are the reason why the bill even got to that point. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. And we are two of the three AJC political insiders who author the Morning Jolt newsletter. Me, late at night. Patricia, early in the morning. Tia, also late at night. So we're the night owls. Patricia is the 3.30 a.m. It's 3.30 a.m. now, right, for you? Yes, and I got my new Yeti coffee cup, which I always thought was too expensive. But now I consider it an investment in my happiness. <laughs> I gotta start thinking of purchases like <laughs> it that. Makes me, it makes me so happy. It's the best thirty-five dollars I've ever spent. And every morning I open the dishwasher and take out my little Yeti cup, and I'm like, "Let's do this thing." So I'm an iced coffee guy. <laughs> I, I don't like drinking hot liquids. And oh, I have to. And in the summer, especially, I just I, I'm the guy who's like, "Okay, what do you have that's iced?" But I know there's a, I know there's a lot of pushback on us iced coffee guys. But I'm also not a coffee person in general. I, I get too jazzed up. You do. You. I've actually seen you after a cup of coffee, and like your your knee will just be bouncing. I'm like, are you okay? Oh really? I, I'm that obvious. <laughs> <laughs> You're that obvious. Yes. Well, our coffee infused, caffeine insulated morning Fueled. jolt. Yeah. <laughs> we like to say it sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now, this very moment, by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. And your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. So you always know what's really going on. And we talked a lot about the Senate race. Let's talk about the governor's race. It's been a little bit quieter, certainly since last week when we had a lot of the back and forth between Brian Kemp's lawyers and Fonnie Willis's investigators over whether he would testify in the special grand jury. We are still very closely watching that. And right before we taped this podcast, we had some we had a new filing from Fonnie Willis's office. Stacey Abrams has jumped into that debate by saying essentially that Brian Kemp is trying to suck up to Donald Trump by not wanting to testify. And this is this is an issue that she's kind of been quiet about. I mean, we haven't heard Stacey Abrams talk much about the special grand jury. 
until now. But at the same time, she is continuing to put out new policies. And just this week, she has a uh, you know pretty broad plan to combat climate change. We know it's really going to be a federal fight, right? Hundreds of billions of dollars. This is not something that you know local and state governments have much leverage to fight on their own, but they can certainly help with trying to combat climate change. And her plan, Patricia, you know, includes several policy items, including new incentives to hire more green workers, encouraging the creation of real climate change plan, and other developments that we have not seen from state leaders from either party before. I think she's first and foremost trying to send the message that if you elect me, you will have a governor who believes in climate change and wants to do something about climate change. Now, that is a very real conversation on the coast of Georgia. So Stacey Abrams was down in St. Simons at the beginning of the week rolling out her climate plan. Places like Brunswick, Savannah. I mean, there's all kinds of coastal flooding that is really impacting those communities over and over. St. Mary's, that's another good example. Also, the farmers in South Georgia are just getting hammered by these natural disasters and that are supposed to be once every 100 years. It's about once every year, maybe once every six months, depending on where you live. And so it's a real issue whether or not you want to acknowledge it or discuss it. And so I think she wants to send the message, um, not the president, I'm not, I, don't know if, I don't know if she wants to send that message, but she wants to say, if I'm the governor, I will prioritize this. And so embedded in her plan, which is, again, dozens of ideas, it reminds me a lot of kind of an Elizabeth Warren approach to yeah. I have a plan for that, which used to be the rallying cry for Elizabeth Warren is I have a plan for that. So Stacey Abrams has a plan for that. And in this plan for climate change also is saying she will go after those federal dollars that just passed in the Inflation Reduction Act. She will go after those dollars for Georgia to add resilience measures to coastal areas to help other people adapt and prepare for climate change. And so that is really the thrust of it. I don't think any voter is going to go through that plan word for word, but it's the message. This is the kind of governor I will be. And then also, even with her statement about Fannie Willis and Brian Kemp, she's continuing to try to send the message. This is an extremist that I'm running against. Don't buy the don't buy the sales job that Brian Kemp is some independent man just because he didn't flip the Georgia elections because Donald Trump told him to. I mean, Brian Kemp has gotten an enormous amount of political capital out of that choice. I don't think he was doing it for that reason, because I think we all thought he would lose his race because of that decision. But it has really rebranded him in a way that almost nothing else could as a person who is independent from Donald Trump. And so she's trying to say, oh, look at this. Here's Brian Kemp not cooperating with Fonnie Willis. He's just a Donald Trump crony, just another one, you know, put him on the pile. So she's trying to send that message. I'm moderate. I have solutions. He's extreme. He is um, not moderate. He's not about solutions. And so that's the message she just wants to send over and over and over. Yeah, she says he is trying to be moderate and MAGA at the same time. She calls him an extremist. And this is sort of the democratic nightmare scenario. It's that by contrast, Brian Kemp, who's the state's first lifelong Republican governor, who's one of the most conservative politicians in Georgia, who has a very conservative agenda. But by contrast to David Perdue and to other, you know, Trump loyalists, he looks a little bit more moderate. He looks a little bit more centrist. He wouldn't call himself a moderate. He wouldn't call himself a centrist, right? He'd call himself independent in some sense, right? Of course, a maverick maybe, but not someone who is uh, by any means in the middle of the political spectrum. He would label himself as a conservative. And yet to some voters, by contrast with David Perdue and the others, you know, he's he's not as far right as them. 
And now Stacey Abrams' challenge is not just Stacey Abrams. It's also Bean Wynn. It's also other Democrats facing the uh, Trump-opposed incumbents, the Republicans who beat back Trump-backed challengers. They're out there saying, as Bean Wynn says, is Brad is not your friend, right? So it's a real trend in this race and one where we keep on seeing in these poll after poll after poll, especially in the limited number of down-ticket polls we've seen where independents are breaking to the GOP right now, particularly in the Brad Raffensperger versus Pete Wynn race. And we'll see if it tightens as the election nears. But certainly we know that a number of voters, thousands of Democratic voters, crossed over the support Brad Raffensperger and to a lesser degree support Brian Kemp against the Trump back challengers. I want to get back to a point you said earlier, though, with Elizabeth Warren, because I've heard that from a number of Democrats in, in the last few days and weeks. Stacey Abrams put out like a 100-point policy proposal the other day where it's 100 different policies. And it was meant to sort of contrast with Governor Kemp, who to this day has really put out one or slash two <laughs> big ones, a, a homeowner tax rebate and a general tax rebate that would put $1,000 into the pockets of many Georgians. That's, you know, he's mostly running on, on his record rather than pledges of what to do in a second term, where by contrast, Stacey Abrams has put out plans for criminal justice and plans for affordable housing and plans for climate change and plans for public safety and all sorts of different plans, teacher pay raise, education, healthcare, you name it. There, There is a plan. But Patricia, the question is, is it sinking in with voters at a time when the economy sort of reigns supreme in poll after poll after poll? I think it's a really good question. And she obviously has a much harder job than Brian Kemp does right now because Brian Kemp has his entire record to run on. And voters know what kind of governor he would be because they know what kind of governor he has been. So they're making a fully informed decision on Brian Kemp. For Stacey Abrams, she needs to paint that picture for voters over and over. But then I think you really do run into a communications challenge in, you know, there, I used to actually work in communications. It was terrible. But <laughs> <laughs> we used to say, if you say everything, you're saying nothing because it's just so much that people cannot focus on one, two, three simple things. If they can't repeat it back to you, they have not heard it. They have not absorbed it. And so um, it's a real challenge. She wants to show them this is what it would be like. She wants to eliminate that risk of, I don't know exactly what I would be getting if I had Stacey Abrams as governor. She wants to eliminate that problem for voters and take Take away that friction point and say, no, I already told you exactly what it's going to be like if you elect Stacey Abrams as governor. But I think it does risk diluting her message. Going into this race, she was voting rights champion, progressive champion. And then she started to layer in economic messages, which I think is so important. But then Democrats frequently get into a situation where they're working to build a coalition of environmental voters, people for whom abortion is their top issue, people for whom immigration is their top issue. And so they're working to be kind of everything to everybody. It can be sometimes a very difficult road to walk. Um, I do kind of frankly, I think that may be why she's struggling a little bit in the polls right now. And again, Brian Kemp just has an easier job. He's already the governor, you know? He's already the governor. He has a record to run him. We are seeing that split ticket mentality. It's rare for the split ticket sort of mentality to, uh, in, in such a big marquee races. Oftentimes we might see split tickets and down ticket contests, but not in races where $270 million have already been spent by both these Senate campaigns and their outside allies and the governor campaigns altogether. $270 million has been spent in Georgia. So, you know, usually you see these, these numbers start to narrow, but we're not really seeing that quite yet. And some of it might be Democrats 
who are supportive of Governor Kemp, and a lot of it might be Republicans who are backing Senator Warnock. It's going to be a fascinating element in this campaign. And I know that we are continuing on the campaign trail. I've got stops in rural Georgia. You're all over the place, Patricia. You also have a column to write, so, so it's a little <laughs> bit harder for you to cut all I wrote all it in the places. carp. I finished it in the carpool line today. <laughs> I'm like, this is... Actually, it was great. I mean, I was I'm not I was gonna say something like this is terrible, but it wasn't. I mean, I'm I, enjoy, I think the I think the column turned out well. But yeah, I mean it's quiet. I had my Wi-Fi, my little Wi-Fi hotspot with me. There's nobody talking. It was it, I, you know, I was kind of in the zone on that one. But yes, you and I both are frequently filing from anything but a desk. And that's okay. I mean, that's kind of the best part of the job. We have a uh, a new office. I think it's only a couple of days a week, but I've been there once. <laughs> I don't know. Have you ever been there, Patricia? Is that the time I saw you? <laughs> it was for a podcast taping, actually. So maybe. No, I wasn't on that. Pod. No, I guess I've never been. To <laughs> you might not have been to the new office. We're glad we have a new office. But I do, I do go out. You know, I tell people, like, technically I work from home, except when we're at the Capitol for a third of the year, we're on the campaign trail for a third of the year, then we're out just, you know, going around the state for the rest of the third year. So work from anywhere, I guess that's what it is, not work from home. Yeah, I've worked from my car plenty. You can find me at coffee shops all over all over the state. Uh, this me morning, too. I worked one up in Gwinnett County after a couple of meetings. I was in Norcross. I know, you were right yeah. near me. I was in Duluth, you were in Norcross. <laughs> yeah, missed but I, I know the I know good restaurants pretty much. But remember, my That's palate not. is not as distinguished as yours. Oh, so I'm a chicken finger guy. <laughs> um, I know restaurants that I think are good all over the states and coffee shops where I like to hang out and file my stories and then get back on the road. <laughs> well, coming up on Friday's episode, we'll answer your questions, maybe from the road, uh, from our listener mailbag, which you can now call into. It's the Politically Georgia podcast hotline. You can call anytime. You can leave a question and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast, 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. We can't wait to hear from you. And thank you for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes of this podcast to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, or whenever big news breaks. We will see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.